Okay, time to dive into God's Word. Uh, we're going to do so this morning um, as I open with just a little bit of reflecting in my own life. You know, as we grow up, we go through different phases. I can remember a phase in life where an entire year I ate tuna fish sandwiches. Um, I don't suspect people sitting around me particularly like that, but it was really uh, invaluable and important to me. I really enjoyed that. Another phase I went through was a time in which I just got in, enthralled and t- intrigued by by wisdom kinds of sayings, those pithy little comments or statements that seem to just have a, a ton of meaning and meat to them. Uh, some of those uh, were from individuals like uh, Benjamin Franklin, other those from people like Mark Twain. It was before I was a Christian, so I wasn't aware that there was a book called the Book of Proverbs in the Bible. But I really in, enjoyed those. And you know some of what those are. Uh, things like a penny saved is a penny earned, or uh, many hands make light work, or don't judge a book by its cover. One of the other Proverbs that was sort of uh, introduced to me was one that I'd heard from my dad. In fact, I'd heard it in my entire life growing up. And, and the saying is that a job is, is not complete uh, until the cleanup has been done. Job's not complete until the cleanup has been done. And as time passed, I, I learned to appreciate that because, you know, as you're, you're engaging in a job, and for me and my dad, it would be doing do-it-yourself kind of things around the house. It's fun hammering things. It's fun drilling things. It's fun sawing things. It's, it's rewarding to see the finished product and how that, that all plays out and, and how that looks. It is not fun uh, to do the sweeping and cleaning of the paintbrushes and those kinds of things. And yet, uh, if you don't do that, you leave a mess uh, for, for later on. Well, it's that idea of being complete that we're going to talk about today, not in terms of do-it-yourself projects, but in terms of, of you and me, of, of us as people. We're going to do that as we look to uh, this fourth week in our series on the Gospel of John. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn open to John, the fourth uh, chapter. Um, and as you're doing that, I would just remind you that the underlying theme for this entire book, something that we looked at our very first week, um, was actually revealed uh, through John by God in John, the the 20th chapter in verse 31, where we read these words, or we're reminded of this truth. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's the whole purpose of, of what this book is about, that we might believe and through that belief enter into eternal life with Jesus. So we just constantly want to keep that in the back of our minds. Uh, We're going to be looking um, really at a good portion of uh, the fourth chapter. Too much for us to read in the time that we have. I've put the text up so you can make note of that and maybe read it through on your own. Um, But let me do a quick summary, and then we'll sort of break it into segments as we go through our time this morning. quick summary would simply be that Jesus is returning from having experienced the Passover in Jerusalem uh, and moving through an area called the province of Samaria, trying to return home to Galilee, the province of Galilee, where he sort of has his home base. As he's doing that, they've had a full day journey. They get to a place called a city or a little village called Sicker where uh, Jesus sits down there. The disciples go to get some food and, and Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. He's thirsty. He asks her for some water. Um, she's a little surprised by that for reasons that we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, and then he tells her that he can provide her um, a water that will quench her thirst in ways that go far beyond that which she's ever realized. She's intrigued by that. And as they uh, go through the conversation, 
conversation, um, Jesus reveals to her that he's really not talking about um, liquid water, physical water, as much as he's talking about that which speaks to the heart. So that's kind of a quick overview of of what we're going to be looking at today. But we're going to break that down, dig a little bit deeper in this. And and we begin um, by talking about this individual that's sort of the focus of this teaching. It's a Samaritan woman. Now it's interesting, as has been true with other things we've looked at in this series in the Gospel of John, this particular story is told only in John's Gospel. We don't find it in any of the other Gospels that are there. Another thing is that we aren't told what her name is, which seems a little bit um, puzzling, at least to me. But I think it's as was true with not knowing the name of the couple when we looked at the first miracle that Jesus did at the wedding. He doesn't want us to get sidetracked by those things and instead to focus on the actual meat of the teaching that is there. And then we find ourselves uh, looking at a, a unique encounter that Jesus has And it's unique because Jesus is um, a Jewish man having a conversation with a a Samaritan woman. And in fact, as you look at kind of the historical context of this, it just shouldn't have happened. Um, Jesus should have not talked to this woman because as you look at the life of the woman, there there are just sort of things that would have prevented that. In fact, kind of use the analogy of a a baseball uh, imagery. And so it's like she's got some strikes against her. So as as Jesus begins this conversation, the first strike is the fact that she's a woman. and not that she's female, that's not what I mean by that, but, but a woman in, in the sense that in that culture, and still in Middle Eastern culture in many places, um, a, a man would not talk to a woman unless she was a family member. And particularly, a Jewish man wouldn't talk to a Samaritan woman, and particularly, a stranger wouldn't talk to someone in a village that they had not been to before. Uh, so there's this obstacle that's got to be overcome. A second strike is that she's a Samaritan. A Samaritan is a, a group of individuals who lived in this particular province, which we've already mentioned, of Samaria. Uh, they're uh, people that have uh, sort of have a lineage and ancestry of, of part Jewish and part Assyrian. When, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar uh, overran uh, the, the Jerusalem and the, sort of that Middle Eastern area there, uh, one of the things that happened is he, he sent off some of the Jews to Assyria, brought some of the Assyrians into, into that area, and in this, this region, this province of Assyria, um, they, they intermingled. Um, and so uh, there's, a, there's a background of both Assyrian and Jew there, which the Jewish people um, would have referred to as uh, sort of creating this, this group of half-breeds is probably the term that they would have used, not held in very high esteem. So you've got uh, the fact she's a woman, she's a, a Samaritan. Uh, thirdly, um, a third strike against her is that fact that she comes from a, a mixed religion. Uh, one of the interesting things uh, about um, the people that live in Samaria is, is even though they have this uh, Arabic background, the part of their faith is is rooted in, in some Judaism traditions. So, for example, they believed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in the, in the rest of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in the major prophets, minor prophets, poetry, any of those kinds of things. But they did believe in the Hebrew text. 
Even more intriguing is, though they would speak Arabic in their day-to-day language, when it came to worship, they would actually have the worship service in Hebrew. Uh, but for the Jews, uh, of which Jesus was a part, this was just a kind of a, a strange hybrid type of faith. And so that was not a, a plus. So we've got three strikes. If you are in baseball, you'd be out of there. Um, fortunately, uh, God doesn't operate that way, which is good because there's actually a fourth strike at play in the midst of all of this. And that is uh, that this individual, this woman, also was a social outcast. Social outcast. One of the things we know from uh, the scripture text is that she had been married five times previously and, the, and currently she's uh, living with a man um, that she's not married to. Because of that, um, even uh, by the traditions of that day, this would have made her um, a not particularly popular kind of person. And so she has all of these things that, that would have worked against there being this dialogue between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. And yet despite that, God had something in store. In fact, I referred to that as, as God had a divine appointment arranged. As Jesus is, is traveling again through this, this area, the text tells us that he, he had to stop in this particular village of Sychar. And um, the text describes it in, in this way. Now he, being Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Now, did Jesus really have to go through Samaria? Well, he didn't have to go through Samaria. Um, If you uh, think of the the layout, you've got Galilee in the north, Samaria in the center, Judea in in the south. Um, He's traveling through that. He could have gone around, which is what most good Jews would have done. They don't want to be in in contact or in connection with these Samaritan people. And so they would have made the journey even though it took them out of their way. Did geographically Jesus have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee? No. But I think he did have to go to this particular woman in this particular place because it was a part of God's plan for him. And as they do that, we we find that that Jesus, um, having become fatigued as a part of of their journey, stops in this particular area and decides to get a drink. He needs a drink of water. Um, And at this point in the story, apparently the the disciples go off to to get some food because there's just this conversation between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. And I can remember as a young Christian wondering, gosh, really, would it take 12 disciples to go get some food for lunch? Um, As a young man, that really was puzzling to me. As I've grown older, I've come to the conviction that absolutely it could take 12 men to have to get food for lunch. Uh, You know, as uh, I uh, have occasion, sometimes I'll be uh, coming home from work and I'll uh, tell Anne I've got to stop maybe at Fred Meyer's. Is there something that she needs at the store? And she might say to me, well, could you pick up some pineapple? Love to pick up some pineapple for you, honey. So I go to the store. How hard can it be to get some pineapple? Go to the shelves, well, there's not just one kind of pineapple. There's cubed pineapple. There's sliced pineapple. There's crushed pineapple. There's eight-ounce pineapple. There's family-sized pineapple. Um, And eventually, I just end up calling Ann, asking what kind of pineapple she wants. She tells me, that's great. And then I will normally say, is there anything else I can get you? And she might say, well, get some tomato stuff. Now, she wouldn't use the word stuff. But because I'm sure I know what I'm doing, I would just hear the word tomato. And so I'd go to the the section where they have tomato stuff, only to discover that there's tomato paste, and there's tomato sauce, and there's Hunt's brand, which it seems like most of the women are getting, or there's the store-bought brand, and there's the different sizes. And again, I end up having to call Ann to ask what it is that I need to get. And this would go on for uh, three or four items. 
what is uh, revealing is that I'm not unique in this. I see other husbands doing the, the same kind of thing. Now, I know that when God was in doing the plan of creation and he created men, that there is a reason for men to be upon this earth. I know that we have an important and a distinct function. And yet the, the truth is that when it, it comes to doing grocery shopping, men lie somewhere between helpless and hopeless. It is just not our gift, at least for most guys. So do I believe that 12 guys could have been needed to go get lunch? Absolutely, I believe that now. So they're off doing their thing. Jesus is talking to this particular woman and he asks her to get some water. In fact, if we go on through the text, we read this. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When you ever hear, whenever you hear specifics like about noon, uh, there's normally a reason that that's been included in uh, the text. Um, you see, one of the things that we know in that era is that it would have been unusual for a woman to have been at the well about 12 o'clock. Why? Well, 12 o'clock is in the heat of the day. Um, women are far smarter than that. They would go in the late afternoon or early evening where they would get the water. It was typically the woman's task to do that. They'd use that time as sort of a socialization to catch up, see how things are, are going with one another um, and so forth. The fact that this woman, the Samaritan woman, was there at noon is pretty indicative to us that she didn't want that socialization. And we can understand why. As an individual who had been married and divorced multiple times, uh, in fact, living with someone that's, that's not her husband, we uh, can pretty easily surmise that she would have been a social outcast, that she would have been shamed by the, the other women, probably viewed as loose in terms of her morals if she's living with this guy. And um, if that's her reputation, probably the other women viewed her as a threat to their own husbands. And so uh, this was, would not be a place that this woman would want to be later in the day. She wouldn't want to uh, have to endure the, the judgmental look. She wouldn't want to have to hear the, the snide or condemning uh, comments made. She just would want to avoid that. And so she went when nobody else would be there, or she thought nobody else would be there. As we continue on uh, in the text, we read in the next portion this when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Again, as we began our sermon today, that, that just isn't something that would have happened. It was unexpected. And, and certainly this woman realized the social norms of that. And so she calls Jesus' attention to this. But Jesus goes on. In verses uh, 10 through 11 of that fourth chapter, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Going to verse 15. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see, as is often the case, the, the woman hadn't completely understood what Jesus was, was driving at. She's still thinking that Jesus is, sp is speaking about liquid, H2O, uh, the, the normal water that you and I would think of. But he's, he's not talking about that. He's talking about something that will speak to her life, to her heart, in ways that will give her new life. He's not speaking about a, a, a quenching of the physical thirst, but of the spiritual yearning that was there within her. 
He's in essence talking about the condition of her heart. And as they continue on in the conversation, um, she wants to know more about how she can get some of this living water, again, not understanding fully. So Jesus suggests that she go and and invite her husband to come and be a part of the, the conversation. In verses 16 through 18, we read this. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. But I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You see, Jesus had sort of um, set up the situation here to to get to the, the real meat of the point that he wanted to talk with this woman about. It wasn't about uh, what it meant to be a Jewish Samaritan. It wasn't about a, a well or, or visiting at noon. It was about the condition of her heart. Because in this comment, he reveals to her that, that he's speaking about the greatest need that she had. In fact, not just her, the greatest need that all of us have, and that's to be loved. I mean, think about it. Here is this woman. She's, she's a five-time loser. She's tried to, to be in a marriage relationship with five men. Um, none of those things have worked out. And now she's in a relationship that she, she feels so poorly about. She's not even willing to go through the motion of getting married a sixth time. This is the deepest need that, as human beings, we have to be loved. Unfortunately, this woman was looking for love in the wrong place. Uh, She was looking for it in the things of the world, and it just isn't ever going to be found there. In 1996, a a, a fun movie came out entitled entitled Jerry Maguire. If you've never seen it, I I would encourage you. Um, It's just sort of a a rom-com, a romantic comedy, um, but it's got something for both men and women. For men, it's got sort of a sports theme. Jerry Maguire is a a sports agent, and he's dealing with a a particular individual. There's a romantic interest in all of that. And and out of this movie comes two kind of um, iconic, um, well-known sayings, but uh, one of the sayings is known by men and one of the sayings tends to be known by women. The one that's known by men is when uh, the character, uh, Tom Cruise's Jerry Maguire, is having this conversation with uh, with Cuba Gooding, who plays the, the sports uh, athlete here. Cuba doesn't think that he's doing a very a good job in trying to represent him and, and he tells Jerry's about to be fired and Jerry desperately needs this particular job and so he says, I'll do whatever is required and so... Uh, Cuba Junior or Cuba Gooding uh, makes him say this particular saying on the phone, and he has to keep saying it over and over and louder and louder. And, and guys, if you're listening to this, you probably know what the saying and and the saying is: "Show me the what? Show me the money." Show me the money. Um, I, I, for whatever reason, it's just one of those things that guys kind of relate more to, maybe as, as long-term providers throughout history, I'm not sure. But there's another portion of the movie where there's a, another saying that comes out of this, and this is for the women. And near the end of the show, you've got uh, uh, Tom Cruise with, with the, the female love interest in this, Renee as Wellinger, and, and she's pretty much convinced that he really doesn't care about her, at least not in the way that she needs um, and even worse, that, that he doesn't really care about her son, who is just an adorable uh, young guy. And so she's thinking that this is, is not going to pan out. And near the end, um, she says, or he says to her that, that he loves her. And then he says this, again, this just very uh, momentous statement. And he says to her, you complete me. 
And I suspect in every theater all over the world, every time this movie was shown, you could hear this collective sigh by the women in the theater because it was just so romantic to hear that. And it is romantic. I think as couples, we all like to uh, to believe that there's a, an element in our spouse that, that helps bring a, a fullness to our life. It's a wonderful saying. The only problem is it's just it's not true. There is no man that completes a woman and just as there's no woman that completes a man. Instead, there's only one that ultimately, completely, uh, truly completes us, and that is Jesus. Only Jesus can, can meet that deepest need in our lives. Now, that's not to say that there aren't other relationships and important relationships. We need and value and, and um, find helpful relationships with family and friends and spouses, um, maybe even with, with other church members. These are a gift from God, and we're so grateful to have those as a part of our lives. However, we don't find our completeness in those. They, they complement us, to be sure. But they don't complete us. Instead, that completeness comes only as we enter into a relationship with Jesus. And what ends up happening is if we try to find that completeness in in another person, as this woman at the well did, we end up going from one relationship, one addiction, one sexual encounter, one this, one that, over and over, trying to find it, and always come up short. Because there's only one that can complete us, and that is God. Only God can meet the deepest need of the human heart through a relationship with Jesus. As we go on with the text, we uh, read of, uh, of John four nineteen through 20 these words. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And it's sort of an odd response that this woman has uh, to this living water statement and to Jesus identifying uh, the shortcomings um, that she's had in her life experience. Why? I don't know. Maybe she's trying to deflect from what Jesus is saying here. I, I suspect he's truly pricked her heart in what has been mentioned here. We don't know that for certain. But Jesus goes on in verse 21. He says this, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, which is what they believed was where they should worship God, or in Jerusalem, where the Jews believed they should worship. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and and so he is uh, not relegated to any specific geographic location, no building, no temple, no church, no country. Instead, we can get right with God. We can enter in that proper relationship with him anywhere, because God is everywhere and ready to love us and forgive us. And complete us. And so what we see is what we've already referenced, and that is that it's Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone, who is the one who completes us. Despite what Jesus has just revealed to her and told her about herself, we see that she still hasn't quite bought into this, and I'm not sure why, but, but the text seems to indicate that as we go on. The woman replies in this way. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes... He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am 
He. You see, the one that this woman was looking for was right in front of her, which is true for us as humanity, isn't it? The God that we seek, the God that we yearn for, is always there right in front of us. Always has been, always will be. It's kind of like a, um, an individual who, who goes to the doctor and being put in the hospital and things are going wrong and they have to do some tests. And as the, the doctor walks in, this woman hasn't met him before, and he says, well, we've run the test, we, we know what the problem is, here's what's going on, and this is how we can, can fix that. And the person looks at the doctor and says, well, doctor, I appreciate what you, what you had to say, but you know what, I'm, I think I'm going to wait. I, I want to talk to the, the specialist in this. I want to talk to the expert. And the doctor says to her, I am the specialist. I am the expert. In fact, nobody in the world can deal with this better than I. Folks, that's how Jesus is with us. No one can deal better with that yearning that we have for love, that need that we have, uh, than Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. Why was the woman hesitant or resistant? I don't know. Maybe she was afraid. You know, some people are afraid about inviting Jesus into their heart. It's a big step, and I appreciate those that, that are serious about, about doing that. Maybe, uh, maybe it was a control issue for her. Uh, maybe she just didn't want to let go. You know, it's interesting. There's, there's people who would rather be in control of a messed up life than relinquish control to a God um, who will point them in, in the right direction. I don't know what the reason was, but I know that Jesus was the answer that she was looking for. A person once said that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And I think that's true for this woman as well. Maybe it is for you as well. I think it has been for all of us at some point in our life. And so as we think about what it is that this woman represents to us, I guess the the one thought, and you don't hear me only have a kind of a one-point sermon, but that's what I've got for you today, though. The one point I would have you take is this, that we're made complete only in Jesus Christ. Nothing in this world, no things, no stuff, no relationships will bring that completeness to us that He alone can do. May we understand that. May we embrace that and make that a part of our life this day and every day. Amen.